Welcome to True Vine Church Community's Sermon of the Week. Our hope is that this message would spark and sustain revival in your relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information about this podcast and other ways to connect with True Vine, visit us at blessphiladelphia.com. We are going to talk about uh, a special emphasis for 2021. Our church has a large overarching vision, which is to make disciples that sustain revival. And that has been our vision for really, I think, actually since the beginning of our church in 2008. But we didn't really come to give that language until around 2017. Uh, So in 2017, we started using this phrase, make disciples that sustain revival. But underneath that umbrella, it seems like every year God takes us on a little bit different uh, journey of how that's going to look. And so in 2020, we had this phrase upgrade, and we centered a lot of what we did as a church around upgrades. We upgraded our building. We upgraded our ministries. We upgraded some of our protocols and practices that we use to keep things moving. We just tried our best to make upgrades across the board. Now, obviously, we were doing that in the midst of a pandemic, and so that made it a little more challenging, and that's not how we saw things going, but we knew that we thought we had heard from the Lord, and so pandemic or no pandemic, social unrest or no social unrest, election or no election, if the Lord said emphasize upgrades, we're gonna find a way to do that in 2020. Well, 2021 has come, and we believe we've heard kind of a new thing from the Lord that we're going to try to apply in 2021. I'm going to share that with us today. But before I do, I want you to know that this is not just coming from me. This is not just something that I thought might be an interesting thing to spend some time on. This is the result of a lengthy prayer meeting that our elders had in, I believe it was in November, when we felt like the Lord said to ask for strength and unity. And so we came into the sanctuary, the three of us, and we spent about an hour to an hour and a half, just the three of us, just asking God for spiritual strength for both the entire congregation as well as for individuals in the congregation as well as for unity. And I'm going to unpack both what we mean by both of those in a moment. But that 90 minute, 60 to 90 minute prayer meeting then resulted in taking this idea to our governing board meeting, which is our elders plus our head deacon, Jason Davis, and our treasurer, Abby Akinaso, and a member at large, Naziha Candio. And we all gathered and we talked for another 60 to 90 minutes as a team about what this would look like and what types of steps we would need to take and how we would need to structure and organize and plan and emphasize in a way that's going to actually get us where we want to go. And so this is not just me up here on a whim. Last night I had a dream or anything like that. This is me having prayed with our elders, having discussed with our governing board over the course of two months, and now I think delivering to you a partially cooked uh, partially developed concept that I think we have the next 12 months to see come into fruition. I hope that makes sense to you. So I want to pray for us now and then jump into unpacking this concept of strength and unity and how we go about this. Jesus, I'm, I'm convinced that this is your will for us. I'm convinced that this is what you want to say to us and what you want us to do. And I'm convinced that this is where we're going to find the provision and the power that we need for 2021. If we go off on some other path, you give us 
the ability to do that, but you don't empower us to do that. We'll be doing that in our own strength. So we choose to walk on the path that you've laid out for us in 2021. And I pray that you would cause this to click for many minds and hearts that are listening today so that this would not just be something that the leadership feels strongly about, but this would be something that the entire fellowship feels strongly about. And I pray that in your name. Amen. All right, so I want you to imagine you're walking down the sidewalk, down the street in Philadelphia. A car pulls up next to you. If you're like me, you're immediately on defense, right? But a car pulls up next to you and they say, hey, I need directions. And then they just stare at you. If someone pulled up next to you and said, hey, I need directions, what might be the first question that you would ask them? Exactly. Where, to where? What do you need directions to? Where are you going? What's your destination? You can't provide directions without knowing the destination, right? Without a destination, what even are directions? Now, I think that a lot of preaching and writing and advice and conversations that take place in churches are directions with no destination. It's just like, hang a left at forgiveness. Keep on going down the Grace Street, and then you're going to do a U-turn when you see mercy. And it's just like, I don't know where we're going with this. What, what are we trying to achieve, or are we just rattling off a bunch of, you know, vaguely Christian uh, moralisms so that people can live a vaguely moral life and feel like they're vaguely spiritual and vaguely good, or is there a direction we're heading? I'll give you an example that's a little more relevant to our spiritual growth. Many of us, when we come to follow Christ, we know that we're supposed to do things like read the Bible and pray and go to church and serve we know that we're supposed to follow these directions, but we really don't know where we're going with this. The Bible makes it clear that where we're going is to become more like Jesus. So the reason we do these things is to become more like Jesus. There's both a, both a destination as well as directions that are given. Well, today I have both the destination and the directions that I think God has given us for 2021. The destination that we're headed toward is strength and unity, that our congregation as a whole and also on the individual person-to-person level would be stronger a year from now than we are today. And we'll unpack a little bit about what strength looks like. Also, I think the destination that we're headed toward is unity, that as a congregation, that in our families, that in our marriages, that in our friendships, we would experience greater, deeper, more authentic and genuine unity than we experience and enjoy currently. So that's the destination. We're headed toward strength, we're headed toward unity, and then we're gonna talk later in the second part of the sermon about the directions. Well, how do we go about getting there? It's one thing to just say, hey, head toward this destination, but then you have to give directions. So we're gonna do the destination and the directions today. So let's talk about the destination. We're headed towards strength and unity. I want to read from Ephesians chapter 4, sorry, Ephesians chapter 3, verses uh, 14 through chapter 4, verse 3. So this is Ephesians 3, 14 through 4, 3. It's going to be on the screen for you. This is the Apostle Paul. We just actually covered this 
about a year ago. We just preached this passage. Ephesians 3, 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. So Paul is, this is a prayer. He's bowing his knees and he prays for whom, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derive its name, that he would grant you, this is Paul's prayer for the church in Ephesus, that God would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which, is, which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever, amen. So that's the conclusion of his prayer. It's that we would be strengthened with power through his spirit in our inner being. But he continues, therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance to one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. So Paul starts off with this prayer and the prayer is that they would be strengthened with power through the Holy Spirit in their inner being and then his expectation is that this strengthening uh, experience is going to lead to greater unity. And he actually gives them a command, be diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. To be diligent is to be focused, to be disciplined, to take seriously, to be thoughtful, intentional, to take into consideration. What are we supposed to be thoughtful about? Preserving unity. I think that in 2020, many of us were diligent in many things, but perhaps not preserving unity. Perhaps we were diligent about making sure everybody knew our opinion about everything. Perhaps we were diligent about speaking up about everything. Perhaps we were diligent about this and diligent about that, but we weren't diligent about preserving unity. You know, there's nowhere in the Bible that says, be diligent to make sure everyone knows everything you think about everything. Be diligent to make sure you comment on everything. Be diligent to make sure you stay safe. It's not in the Bible. What are we supposed to be diligent in? To preserve the bond of unity. And he actually tells us we do that with humility, gentleness, patience, tolerance, and love. That's how you actually are diligently preserving the bond of unity. Now, I wanna talk about, uh, actually, I'm not gonna talk about strength, I'm just gonna illustrate it in a moment. But I've asked our elders to participate in this strength and unity explanation. Uh, one of our elders, Glenn Miller, he's not able to be with us today, but he pre-recorded a three or four minute video where he talks about strength and uh, unpacks this passage a little bit. So because I want Glenn and John Eric to join me in this, we want to show this to you. So this is uh, Elder Glenn talking about strength. He's going to provide a couple different passages. If you can uh, roll this for us. Hello and good morning, everyone. First, I'd like to thank you and uh, wish you all very happy New Year's. This week, Pastor Jim is introducing our theme for 2021. 
theme is strength and unity. Two subjects the Bible speaks frequently of. Two subjects that are just as important today as they were 2,000 years ago. Today I'd like to talk about the strength part of our theme. When we think about strength, we immediately think of physical strength, a uh, brute strength. Strength can come to us in many different ways, such as courage, stability, even balance. The strength I want to touch on today is spiritual strength, a power that is given to us all by God. Let me read from Ephesians 3.16. It says, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I'd like to also read from Acts 1.8. It says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit falls on you. And John 14.26 says, The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things. So God promises to give us a special power an extraordinary power for extraordinary challenges that we may have in life. The power or strength cannot be earned or achieved. It's given to us as a gift for being believers. Once you tap into it and you realize that this special power, you'll finally give up on relying strictly on your own strength. And this strength that is given to us is not meant for us to keep to ourselves meant for us to share with the people we love and care for in our lives. We are also needed as strength to do the right things, to walk like Jesus while we're at home, while we're at work, while we're out in our neighborhoods. So this year, as we strive for strength, let us remember where we get it from. Moses said in Exodus 15, the Lord is my strength and my defense. These are David's words in Psalm fifty-nine, thirteen. You are my strength. I sing praise to you. You, God, are my fortress, my God on whom I can rely. And let us not forget Paul's famous words in Philippians 4. I can do all things through God who strengthens me. So this upcoming year, we're all going to need to be strengthened in many different ways. Please use these reminders to pray and to ask God for strength in any way that you may need it. Be bold. Step out of your comfort zone and step up in your faith. There is strength, a spiritual strength that is for you from God. And please know this, that in the new year, I'll be praying for all of you for a fresh anointing of the power of the Holy Spirit and for the strength of the Lord to fill every one of you. Thank you, and once again, Happy New Year's. All right, so uh, thank you, Glenn, for doing that. I think he's probably watching right now. If I were to summarize what I took away from what Glenn shared is that, and this is in the second half of what he shared, it is that the Lord is the source of our strength. I think sometimes we get this idea that we have to provide strength for ourselves, and we do that by just kind of like digging deep and 
standing up straight and puffing out our chest and stiffing our neck and I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do and then, you know, that lasts a day or an hour, <laughs> maybe not even an hour and then we fall in because we're not relying on the Lord to be the, the source of our strength. I was reading this week uh, the book of James and I, you know, you're only two verses into James when it says this, consider it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. It's interesting that God, who is the source of our strength, is also the one that per, uh, permits and often provides the pressures and the trials and the tribulations that test our strength. It's almost as if God is saying, listen, I'm going to go ahead, do you a favor, and strip away all the fake stuff you've been getting strength from. You get strength from your uh, psyching yourself up, I'm gonna strip that away. You get strength from your confidence in your bank account, I'm gonna strip that away. You get strength from this and strength from that, I'm gonna strip that away so that you can actually begin to find your strength in me and you'll find that getting your strength from God makes you stronger than when you're getting your strength from yourself and from your own will. So testings, trials, pressures, are intended to strengthen our faith. If they don't strengthen our faith, they often reveal the weakness of our faith and they bring that to the surface and expose that. I do wanna share one picture of the type of strength that I think God is providing for us this year and then I'm gonna have Pastor John Eric come up and share about unity. So when I think of strength, as Glenn mentioned uh, in his video, when I think of strength, even still to this day, the first thing that I think of is kind of brute strength. I think of muscles. I think of someone who stands up strong and, you know, kind of like sets their forehead as they're going to accomplish their goal and they're going to be focused. I still think of that when I think of strength. And I think that, they're, I think that that's, that is a real, true, accurate picture of strength. I just don't think that's the only picture of strength. In our yard, we have a little pine tree sapling. It's about four feet tall. It comes up to where I, where I would have a belly if I had a belly. It comes up to about here. And it's a sapling. It's young. It's maybe three years old. And so uh, about three weeks ago when we had that snowstorm and we got, I don't know, what do we get, four or five inches of snow or something like that? It's supposed to be the blizzard of the century, I think. Well, it covered that tree in snow. It was that heavy, sticky snow, and it covered that tree in snow, and the tree bent over like a U. It was like or a rainbow. I mean, that thing was totally bent over. Now, what I witnessed uh, from other trees is that limbs broke off, and they snapped. Uh, branches fell because they couldn't carry the weight of the snow, but that little pine tree just, it just bent over, and then when the snow melted, you know what the pine tree did? went right back up to standing. You know, sometimes strength is revealed in our flexibility. Our ability to deal with what is thrown to us and maybe we, maybe we do kind of have to, we, we bend a little bit but we snap back. It doesn't crack us, it doesn't break us. You know that kind of brute strength where you kind of just stiffen your neck and stiffen your forehead? You know what that leads to? Being brittle. Because sometimes what life throws at you is actually too much for you. And if you can't be flexible and you can't respond and you can't be uh, tolerant to the circumstances of life, sometimes you're just going to snap. 
And so there is a different picture of strength and I think that based on what the last year has been for us, the type of strength that we need is kind of the strength of a young sapling, the flexibility, the ability to respond and to react, not just say, well, I'm gonna do it my way and I don't care what the consequences are because you'll find that, here's the reality, either you're gonna break or you're gonna break someone else. I mean, when a car and a tree run into each other. This, this is something, another thing I experienced you know, living in a rural area. I talked about this last week. When a car meets an oak tree, only one comes out of that alive, right? Someone's gonna break. And sometimes we live life that way. We're either the car or we're the oak tree. But you know, if you drive into a forest where little pine trees are growing, you can drive right over them and they pop right back up afterwards. And so I, I wonder if maybe God's calling us to be more like a pine tree than, you know, a big oak. And I know in the Bible it talks about oaks of righteousness, and in that context, that's what God's calling them to, but I think in this context, God's saying, hey, you're gonna have to have some flexibility. You're not gonna always have things your way. You're gonna have to be able to respond and bounce back, not just get blown over when the circumstances are greater than you can handle. So I think that's the type of strength that we're gonna need heading into 2021 is flexibility. The ability to have things that we aren't expecting come our way, but hey, it didn't snap me, it didn't break me, I can bounce right back, I'm flexible and I'm pliant. Now, the other thing that we wanna work on is unity. Uh, This was actually the result of Paul's prayer for their strength was that they would be diligent to preserve the bond of unity. So I'm going to ask Pastor John Eric, actually, he's going to come up and share about this for a few minutes. So would you mind, I guess, welcoming him to the stage? Yay. Okay. I'll get out of your way. Hold the applause. To segue into this unity theme, I think that flexibility actually helps with that, right? If the strength that we exert is to be flexible and uh, a, a phrase that one guy um, used, a guy that I went to college used, like, you've got to be Gumby, right? Because Gum, Gumby is, you guys know who Gumby is? Yeah, he's flexible, he bends, he's moldable, uh, he goes with the times. And I feel like that kind of strength also helps in the unity aspect of it, right? Because unity, if you look at uh, the passage, uh, is essentially oneness. The way that Paul goes into uh, describing this unity, he says what preserves unity, uh, he gives us Humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, preserves unity. But he also says that there is one body, one spirit in verse 4. He goes on in verse 5, says, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So unity is oneness. And oneness is not sameness. Oneness is harmony and oneness encompasses or unity encompasses diversity right and in harmony if you if you have a song they complement each other so if if the harmony was set to the words and the, the theme uh, separately than the melody you would you would think it's a different song like this is not the right song but when they come together they work together to provide for us some uh, sort of like symphonic beauty 
right? That, that it's appealing to us. And so one of the things, um, several things that Paul, that I want to draw your attention here in this passage that speaks of unity is first, it's oneness. And oneness is harmony, not necessarily sameness. You can look at it in your marriage, husband and wife, you are not the same. You are very different, but you can live in harmony with one another's unity in, in that. Got it? And so unity happens, as Paul says, with intentionality. He says for us to be eager to maintain unity. And to be eager is to like have you know, that kind of walk that you have when you are like running to the, uh, for say, forgive me, middle school moment here. When you're running to the bathroom, you know, upset stomach, diarrhea, right? You got that, that shuffle, you know what I mean? That eagerness, you are eager to make it to the bathroom or else it's gonna be a mess, right? So that's kind of the image that came to mind when I thought of eagerness, being swift, being quick, being intentional, moving towards unity, right? A lot of times uh, unity is, is thwarted by our own, um, by pride, by uh, bitterness, by anger, whatever it is that gets in the way. What Paul is telling us, with everything that you have and that we have, we need to be eager. We need to be swift towards unity. It is the thing that you need to move towards and run towards. So it requires intentionality and really an exertion of energy, which requires the strength that we need from the Lord. I feel like those two, these two are very complementary. We also see that this is unity of the spirit. So it's God is, God is the one who's providing this. Before Jesus, I think I mentioned this before when I spoke about John 17, uh, before Jesus ascended into heaven, before he was even crucified, he prayed his priestly prayer and he asked that the Lord would give us the glory that he has to make us one. So Jesus provides to us the glory that allows for us to be one. And so who is that glory? The glory is the Holy Spirit. So not only does the Spirit strengthen us, the Spirit also produces in us this desire to be unified. We have a desire... as believers, because we have the spirit inside of us, we have this God-provided uh, desire for us to move towards unity, right? None of us, I think um, we've all been in moments where we've had conflict with other people, and we're just like, uh, when, when you value the relationship so deeply, you want nothing else but to be unified, when, when the relationship is valued so deeply. And so uh, this is God providing us the ability or the desire from within to move towards unity, to oneness, towards harmony. And I, I want to just talk a little bit about uh, this unity in diverse things, right? If you look at the list of the things that he says are one, we see that Paul says we're one body. A body is made of different parts, isn't it? that are complementary to one another. And so it's not, the, this arm is not the same as my leg. It's different and they have different functions, but they work together to form this, uh, this organism that produces life and does great things, right? And so there's, there's diversity in body, 
And even in the Godhead, he says that there is Spirit, Lord, and Father. That's Holy Spirit, that's Father, and that's Son, Jesus Christ. There is diversity within the Trinity. And yet there is oneness, there is unity. That's the whole idea of tri-unity. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit being one. So even in the God that we serve, he exemplifies for us what it's like to be diverse, but to be unified. There is unity even in the Godhead. And there's also um, unity and oneness around what we believe and what we practice. He says there's one faith and there's one baptism, right? We all participate in that. When we're baptized, when our faith is in Jesus Christ, when our baptism is in the name of Jesus Christ, then there is oneness that unites us in what we believe and what we practice. So, Big idea, unity is oneness, it's harmony. It's, it encompasses diversity, uh, but, but complementary diversity. So I'll leave you with that, and Pastor Jim's gonna come back. All right, thank you, Pastor John Eric. So we're still painting the picture of where we're heading. What is the destination that we're heading toward? It's, been, it's strength and it's unity. I think John Eric did a really good job on, he hit on something that I wanted to just help kind of narrow this picture. Here's what we're not heading toward. This kind of broad ecumenicism where I'm gonna have a rabbi and an imam and a Buddhist monk come preach at church. We're not doing any of that. We're talking about unity in Christ, in the Holy Spirit, and around his word. So we're not going some nutty, wide open, every path leads to God you know, thing because Jesus said he is the way, the truth and the life. But here's what we are talking about. If you're a follower of Jesus, you should be able to get along with other followers of Jesus regardless of their background and their opinions, right? So there are some essential things that we're going to not flex on. We're not going to flex on that Jesus is God. That's so clear in Scripture, and if you bend on that, you've bent on too much. We're not going to bend on whether the Bible is God's word. That's, that's settled and that's established. But you know what we can bend on? I don't like that song. This service is too long. Uh, I like this translation and you have to read it in my translate. Those are the types of things where I vote this way and you vote that way. Like those are the types of things that we can flex on. The types of things we don't flex on are the identity of Jesus, the authority of God's word. And uh, I, I would say there's about a dozen or so things and we have them on our church website as like essential core beliefs that you can't bend or flex on. But there's a lot of other stuff that we want to show charity and tolerance towards one another on. And tolerance is a biblical word. It's in Ephesians. Now, that's where we're going. How are we getting there? What are the directions? I mean, what, is, what, is, what are the steps we're going to take that are practical? Well, I want to share some of my thinking about this before I get into about seven specific activities or actions that I would like us to take. But um, this summer when a lot of stuff was happening and that led to protests as well as riots and looting. This is shortly after George Floyd was killed and then there was a few other incidences this summer. 
there was a lot of, as you guys remember, I'm sure, uproar and calls for justice. But then after the calls for justice, really quick, I mean, immediately were calls for unity. And the calls for unity just kind of struck me as a little premature. And I, you know, I know that sounds contradictory because here I am saying we need to be united, but I'm also saying those calls for unity felt premature. Here's what I mean by that. Calls for unity have to be preceded by calls for repentance. You know, if I scream and shout at my wife and put my hands on her and then say, let's have unity, I've obviously missed a hundred steps in between, right? And more likely that would happen the other way around in my household. But you can't just have this gigantic conflict in our society and then give this shallow, superficial, can't we all get along response. Now this happens in the Bible. In, in the book of Jeremiah, on, in two separate places, Jeremiah confronts the leaders of the people of God. And this is Jeremiah chapter 6, verses 13 through 17. For from the least of them, even to the greatest of them, Everyone is greedy for gain. And from the prophet, even to the priest, everyone deals falsely. So he's talking about the prophets and the priests of Israel. These are the spiritual leaders. He says, they have healed the brokenness of my people superficially, saying, peace, peace, but there is no peace. Were they ashamed because of the abomination they've done? They were not even ashamed at all. They didn't even know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall. At the time that I punish them, they shall be cast down, says the Lord. Thus says the Lord, stand by the way and see and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. And I set watchmen over you saying, listen to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, we will not listen. So here's what's going on in Israel this time. Israel has gone through generations of sin rejecting God. The kings and the prophets and the priests and the leaders have rejected God. And so God says, you know what? I'm going to put you in time out. And time out in the Bible is called exile. Where another nation came and took them over and carried some of their people off. And they were scattered and they were under oppressive governments. And they lived that way. And, but in the midst of that, you know what their prophets and their priests were saying? It's good. This won't last long. Peace, peace. They were healing the brokenness of the people superficially, verse 14 says, by saying, peace, peace, but there was no peace. They were calling for peace, but there was no peace. It was superficial. It was shallow. It was on the surface. God, through Jeremiah, continues in verse 15. Are you even ashamed of the abominations that you've committed? They have no conscience that says they can't even blush. They, they feel no shame, no remorse over the sins that led them to that situation that they were in. They would rather just say everything's good than go deep and deal with the sins that their community uh, was dealing with. So... God says, they shall fall among those who fall, and at, the, at that time I will punish them, and they will be cast down. So there's this desire for the leaders of the God's people to just kind of like 
brush, brush everything under the rug, ignore it. Everything's going to be fine. Peace, peace. But there was no peace. And I kind of think that sometimes we do that in the United States is we say unity, we say peace, but there isn't any. We've just shoved it back down, and that's why it keeps erupting. So Jeremiah actually does have a solution, or God through Jeremiah. In verse 16, thus says the Lord, stand by the way and see and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. This is what Jeremiah is doing. He's contrasting this kind of superficial, shallow peace, peace. And he's saying, you need to go back to ancient paths, the ancient way of walking. Walking in the Bible almost always is just a metaphor for like doing life. He's saying, you're going to have to go back to the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it. And what will you find? Rest for your souls. That's the actual deep, meaningful, uh, lasting peace that they're faking. They're faking peace. Jeremiah is saying, well, if you actually go back to the ancient ways, you'll find actual peace and rest for your souls. But how do the people respond? They said, we will not walk in it. Jeremiah continues, I'm setting watchmen over you. Watchmen would be like guards or uh, like a security guard. I set watchmen over you saying, listen to the sound of the trumpet. The trumpet was a warning. But they said, we will not listen to this trumpet. We will not listen to the sound of the warning. They were rejecting what God was, God was saying, here are these ancient principles, ancient practices, the way things have always been. I want you to walk in those things. You can throw off the trendy, modern, hip, new practices and adopt these ancient paths. You'll find actual real rest for your souls, not superficial peace if you do that. Now that's the principle that's in Jeremiah. Jeremiah doesn't explain any further what the ancient paths are. He just says, go back to these ancient paths. It reminds me of in Revelation when Paul, uh, sorry, John is writing the letter to the church in Ephesus and he says, return to the things you once did. Go back to these ancient practices. So this year there are a couple ancient practices that I think that we need to go back to. The first is kind of an attitude. There are um, seven of these that I want to look at really quickly. Seven ancient paths. The first is brokenness. Brokenness is the opposite of arrogance. It's the opposite of self-confidence. I really think that, and I've said this about six times now, we don't need anyone to puff out their chest nowadays. We need people to cry. We need people who will grieve and lament and mourn over what's going on. And brokenness requires humility and grieving. Brokenness does not look like I have an opinion about everything and my opinion is set in stone. You know, sometimes strong opinions reveal weak love. Sometimes you have to have a very low love in order to have very strong opinions. And as your love grows, you realize, you know, maybe my opinions, I should hold them a little looser because they are just my opinions. The second ancient path after brokenness is fasting. Fasting goes, has a long, long track record in the Bible. 
And while I don't have uh, details about this, I think you can probably anticipate that at some point in 2021, a congregational fast uh, where we can dedicate some time to seeking the Lord together, where we're so diligent about it that we skip a few meals. Meals are not the only thing to fast, but we will be emphasizing that. But something we other also might need to think about fasting is forms of media. Um, maybe, maybe the news, maybe social media, maybe sports, maybe other things, because I'll tell you the truth, many of us spend more time on media than we do on eating. We can skip three meals and maybe save 90 minutes a day that we can dedicate to prayer. But I bet if we decided to skip Facebook in the news and movies for a week, we'd probably save 15 hours that we could dedicate toward those things. And so uh, I took a six-week, I, I did a six-week fast from social media recently. The joy came back to my life a little bit. The glow you know, I mean, my goodness, what a pleasure that was to uh, take about six weeks off of social media and just, you know, remember what the real world is like. Then I realized it's hard to pastor a church during a pandemic when you don't have social media, so I had to crawl my way back in. But I, ha I did come in with a different attitude, which is that it should re more accurately reflect the real world. So if I wouldn't say something in person, I'm not gonna say it in social media. If I'm not friends with you in real life, I don't need to be friends with you on social media. Sorry, I, I think I'm friends with all of you, but you know, the, just a, kind of a different approach. The way my fast of social media was the same attitude of when I fasted fish for five years. I went to a restaurant, ate fish, and got food poisoning, and vomited for two days. And then stupidly, a couple, about a month later, I went back to the same restaurant and ordered fish a second time, thinking, what are the chances? Got food poisoning a second time, threw that up, and I said, I don't want no more fish. It wasn't even hard. I had lost my taste for fish. Well, that's what my fast of social media was like. It was not hard. I had lost my taste for it. And I think that there are going to be things that God's going to put his finger on. It could be skipping a few meals, it could be not watching this or not participating in that, and we're gonna call some people, well, all of us, we're gonna call all of us to fast at some point in 2021. A third ancient path is confession. Confession kinda has two roles. One way that we confess is just by stating what we believe. You know, the, the statements of our beliefs are often called creeds or confessions. So when you just say, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that's a confession. But the way that many people think of confession is, I'm admitting my sin. I'm confessing my sin. Now, as Protestants, I think, uh, and, and many of you come from Catholic backgrounds, the first thing you think of is, do I have to go visit a priest and tell the priest all my sins? And people will often say, I don't need to confess my sins to a person. You're right, but you do. I'm not a priest people are constantly confessing their sins to me. I'm almost like, yo, I don't wanna know all of this. But there's something in us that has to get stuff out. Maybe not everything, but we want to get stuff out. When I was in high school, whenever I would go to a party, I was often the only person sober at the party, and people would line up to confess to the religious kid who wasn't drinking in the corner who had had a, one too many Diet Cokes. 
and they would line up to confess, and I was like, there is something in us that the, the dirt that's in our souls, we want to get out. So we're probably not, you know, well, not probably. We are definitely not gonna have a priest come set up a booth for you to confess to. But I will say that as a congregation as an, and as individuals, we have to get some of the stuff said out loud. We have to get it out in the open. We have to bring it to the light because when it's brought to the light, it actually gets dealt with. One of the ways that we're going to do this in a very practical sense is we're going to continue in 2021, we're going to continue our race, culture, and Christ series. This is something we've done twice. We're going to do it for a third time where we will have a gathering where we look at what the Bible says about race and Jesus and how those relate so that we can have a biblical uh, worldview on ethnicity and race. We'll be doing that at some point in 2021. A fourth ancient path is repentance, embracing a lifestyle of repentance, which simply means to change and go the other direction from what you're doing. Often that requires a change in what you're thinking. As we deal with repentance, we are going to call people to repent from sin and not, we are not going to lump people in to a group and say that a group needs to repent. Let me give you an example. I'm not going to stand up here and I'm not going to allow other people to say, all you Democrats or all you Republicans or all you white people or all you black people, we're not going to do that. This is what we're going to say. Everyone who's a hypocrite can repent of their hypocrisy. Regardless of your political affiliation, regardless of your race, regardless of your gender, regardless of your opinion, if you've got hypocrisy, so that way we're not telling people to repent of their identity, we're telling people to repent of their actions. Does that make sense? If you have hypocrisy, everyone's welcome to repent of that. If you have hatred, unforgiveness, if you have these things in your heart, we're going to call you to repent of those things. Instead of lumping people into groups, we're going to treat people as individuals and call them to repent of the sin that they need to repent of so that they can get free. Then we're going to exercise this fifth ancient path, which is forgiveness. I'm thinking that in the next five to ten years, the church has never, in America has never been good at forgiveness. This is our shot to set the example. There's never been a time where people are getting thrown by the wayside for an offense like there is now. One, one wrong tweet, one wrong opinion, one wrong attitude from 20 years ago, and you're erased, right? So what if there was a group of people, the church, Christians, who were actually able to model in a way that stood out forgiveness, what if we had people in our lives that offended us, but we were able to forgive them because we recognized Jesus forgave me, and so who am I to hold this against other people? A sixth ancient path, prioritizing our identity in Christ. I understand that everybody here in this room, everybody watching, has various layers to their identity. Your gender is part of who you are. Your race is part of who you are. Your job, your family, all of those are part of who you are. How do you prioritize those things? As Christians, the number one priority that we gauge everything else by is follower of Jesus. That's the highest part 
highest priority of our identity. So I'm a husband, I'm a dad, I'm a white man, and I'm a Philadelphian. Those are all part of who I am, but underneath all of that is I am a follower of Jesus. I'll give you an example of how this could play out. I'm sure this has never happened to anyone. Let's say you're an Eagles fan and you're at an Eagles game and they're playing the Cowboys, right? They're playing the Cowboys. We, we don't like the Cowboys, right? We don't like Cowboys fans. Let's say you're at an Eagles game, they're playing the Cowboys, and there's a Cowboys fan, and you already know that they're annoying just by looking at them, right? I mean, that's just how they are. And the Cowboys fan starts to talk trash to you, and he uses some salty language, and he says something about your mama, and you just want to kind of like lay hands on him, right? You just want to say, you either want to say something back or you want to do something. So you have to decide in that moment, am I a... Christian who is an Eagles fan or am I an Eagles fan who's a Christian? And you have to make a decision which one of those is the higher priority in your life, right? Well, that same principle takes place when we're talking about sexuality, when we're talking about politics, when we're talking about social issues, when we're talking about how we interact with other people. You have to decide what am I first, And for the Christian, it should always be first and foremost, I am a Christian. So I'm going to handle this situation the way a Christian would handle this situation. Does that make sense? By prioritizing your identity in Christ, you're not denying the other things that are true of you. You're just putting them in their proper perspective. The final ancient path that I want to call us to is community and communion. Um, I know one of the things that's made, that made the last nine to 12 months so challenging is that we were kind of forced to be scattered in some way. And I think everyone to varying degrees found ways to respond to that. You know, some people really jumped onto Zoom. Other people don't like Zoom. Um, some people decided to gather in person anyway. Some people went into total isolation and Often that leads to depression. Isolation and depression are this spiral. You get depressed and so you isolate. And then as you're isolated, you get more depressed. So you isolate more and then you end up more depressed. So you're going to have to break that at some point. But community and communion are going to be really essential for us in 2021. Obviously, there's no way for me to forecast what this year is going to look like. I learned that lesson very clearly in 2021. Uh, 2020. I don't know what the, this year's going to look like, but, but, and I anticipate that the next 90 days is going to be critical in seeing how we, you know, deal with the virus and, and some of the restrictions. But, you know, my mind is, look, is aiming at Easter as a turning point for us as a church. And I'm not saying we're going to, you know, we're obviously going to keep watching numbers and keep listening and keep, you know, paying attention. We're not just setting an arbitrary date. But at this point, it seems like around Easter, perhaps things will begin to open up for us where we can begin to gather in larger groups. I think we'll be able to gather in smaller groups even before that, but in larger groups where we can begin to have some meals together, have larger fellowship uh, times together. And we need that. I mean, I I know that when this is all said and done, there's going to be people I haven't seen for a year. And you're going to have people from our church that you haven't seen for a year. You might not even recognize them. 
They might have gained weight. They might have lost weight. They might have more gray hair. No one has less gray hair now. So if they have less gray hair, you, you know that they're dying it, all right? Everyone has more gray hair now. So we're gonna need to gather. We're gonna need to come together. Um, as we've walked through this last year, we've had to balance what the Bible says about uh, loving your neighbor and obeying civil authority, also with what the Bible says about do not forsake gathering with one another. And that's been a delicate balance. And I sometimes I think we've gotten it right. Other times we've gotten it wrong. We've been careful to balance it. I think some people aren't balancing anything. They've just chosen one or the other. We're trying to balance it. But I, 2021, I think, is the year we need to call back together in a way that people are comfortable and safe. We're gonna have some gatherings. We're gonna share some meals. We anticipate that in 2021, we're gonna try to do this church retreat that we've had scheduled for 2020. We're gonna try to pull this off. We've already made a deposit, so that's hopefully gonna take place. So these are some of the ancient paths, brokenness, fasting, confession, repentance, forgiveness, prioritizing our identity in Christ, community and communion. As you go into 2021, we're only three days in, I know God's will for you. It's not a secret, it's in the Bible. God's will for you in 2021 is to become more like Jesus. So whatever happens at your job this year, it's to make you more like Jesus. Whatever happens with your family this year, it's to make you more like Jesus. Whatever happens with your health, whatever happens in your church, whatever happens with your neighbors this year, all of that is intricately knit together to make you more like Jesus. You're not gonna be more like Jesus by arguing with people. You're not gonna be more like Jesus by becoming overly critical and nitpicking. You're not gonna become more like Jesus by hiding in your homes and isolating yourself, waiting for other people to cater to you instead of taking responsibility for your own walk with God. None of those things are gonna make us more like Jesus. Chiding people and hiding from people, none of that is gonna make us more like Jesus. And so, can I, can I encourage, I, I think this would apply to everyone, and I guess if the shoe fits, wear it. It's time to come out of hiding. <laughs> um, and it's also uh, time to begin to grow in our love for people. Time to begin to grow in our affection and devotion for people who are made in the image of the God that we claim to serve and to love. This whole year coming up, 2021, you know, to simplify it, if we will just do the first commandment and the second commandment, which is love the Lord our God with all of our heart and soul and strength, and also love our neighbors, we'll do really well this year. And we could keep it as simple as that. Just the first and second commandment. If we do those things, we'll do really, really well in 2021. Thank you for listening to True Vine's Sermon of the Week. This podcast and an archive of previous episodes can be found at blessphiladelphia.com.